Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, Wildwood. I'm really excited today for us to dive into God's Word together. Uh, Today we're going to be starting a new series on Romans chapters 7 and 8 called The Spiritual Life, Navigating Life in the Spirit's Power. Uh, There are some specific things that God wants us to know about how we are to live out our Christian life, and He communicates those things to us in in His Word. In the book of Romans, as as talked a lot about salvation, how we come into a relationship with Christ in the first several chapters as we've looked at over the last number of weeks at Wildwood. But when we get to chapters 7 and 8, we find Paul expanding more on what it means to live life in the Spirit's power, to live a truly spiritual life. And so I'm excited for us to look at that over the next seven weeks together. Uh, But before we we dive in into our first installment from Romans 7, verses 1 through 6, I want to share with you a story that that goes back uh, about 13 years. And it goes back 13 years when I was the college pastor here at Wildwood. And there was a particular Sunday, I don't remember the exact day, but I remember where I was. I was downstairs in, in our, our fellowship center, and I was, I was teaching the college students. I was giving, delivering a message. I don't remember exactly what the topic was, but I remember that this message was on some type of moral issue. You know, one of those great messages, you are not to do this or you are to do that. I don't remember exactly what it was. If it was about dating or finances or what we should or should not ingest into our bodies, I don't remember exactly what the topic was, but I remember that I was delivering this message and, and, and pointing out all these verses of what we were to do, to do, to do, to do, to do. And I remember walking off the stage and sitting down very satisfied with that message Um, until the next day when I got together with a friend of mine who was present that day, and that friend said something to me that has changed uh, my study of Scripture and certainly my teaching and presentation of Scripture. This is what he said. He said, Mark, that was an interesting message yesterday. Now, here's the deal. If anybody ever tells you that was an interesting message, you just just put a helmet on at that point, okay? Uh, He says, that was an interesting message yesterday. I said, okay, yeah, what, what do you mean? He goes, well, answer me this. How is what you taught yesterday any different on that topic than a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu would have said? Now, some of you are going, that's a little harsh. Um, but this came out of the context of a friendship and a relationship. And you know what? He, here's, the, here's the point that he was bringing up. Every religion in the world has a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. And every religion in the world stands up and tells people what to do and what not to do. That's just part of religion in the world today. And what he was saying was, is Christianity just about the do's and the don'ts, or is Christianity something different? Now, he knew that it was, and I knew that it was. But somehow in that message, I had failed to communicate the truth about the truly Christian life. And that surfaced when he asked me the question, what was different about your message than what a Muslim, a Jew, or a Hindu would have said? So let me ask you this question today. Let me make it a little more broad and a little more general. 
When you think about the Christian life, how would you describe it? Would you describe it primarily as a list of do's and don'ts? Would you describe it primarily as a bunch of what's, what we are to do? Or is it something more than that? If it's only a bunch of do's and don'ts, if it's only a bunch of what's, then it's really not all that Christian. It's really quite similar to every other religious presentation in the world. But in Christ, God is offering you and me something so much greater than just a list of what's. He's offering us a full transformation in a new life connected to him. More than just the what, Jesus gives us a who and a how. And we're going to look at that today in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Romans 7, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read these verses for us, written by the Apostle Paul under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to back up and we'll, we'll see a few things today from these verses as we find out what the Christian life is really all about. Is it just a bunch of what's or is it something more than that? Paul writes and says this, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way. Of the written code. And so we have these six verses. Now, before uh, I, I dive into this, I want to just make a confession. You know, sometimes you hear a sermon that is inspired by the language of Calvin or Luther. I'm, I'm sorry, today you're going to hear a message that is inspired by the language of Dr. Seuss. Um, and you'll understand what I mean in about five seconds. The first thing that I, I want us to see from this passage is this. The spiritual life is a who doing a what. The spiritual life is a who doing a what. Now, here's the deal. The, the Christian life has a lot of what's. Let's be honest. There's a lot of what's in the Christian life. I mean, think about this. In our Bibles, there's an Old Testament. That Old Testament has, uh, according to Jewish tradition, is they count it 613 different commandments in there. We think about the New Testament. There, every book of the New Testament has imperatives in it commands, things we are to do. Some people run that number close to a thousand commands just in the New Testament, imperatives that are, that are given to us. See, there are, are a lot of commands that are in the Bible. There are a lot of what's. There are things we are to do, and there are things we are not to do. Sometimes we think it's just about the things we are not to do, right? We're not to drink that. We're not to smoke that. We're not to sleep with that. We're not to whatever, right? There, there, are, the, there are the don'ts of the Christian life, but there's also the do's. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to pray for one another. There are a number of commands. There are a number of imperatives. There are a number of what's in the New Testament. And so because of that, you may have walked in here today with the impression that the Christian life is a life of what's, that we are to do a bunch of things, that we are to follow a bunch of commandments. And you would be partially right. We are to obey. We are to follow Christ. There are what's that are laid out for us, but here's the reality. Here's the reality. Jesus has done something far greater for us, friends. He's done something far greater than just giving us a standard and saying, go do it. He offers us something more in the Christian life, and that has to do with a total transformation of our who. The reason why the what is different for the Christian is because the who is different for the Christian. Jesus has transformed our hearts and our lives. And we see that in the first five verses of chapter 7. Now, Paul begins by talking about the law at the beginning of chapter 7. And he does so because he's basically asserting this. There was a time in our lives that our only hope, our only connection to God was on the basis of the what's, the law. There was a time that our only hope for connection with God came through our adherence to a standard. And God has provided that standard for us. He's provided it for us in his word. And it's been around for a very long time. And you know what? The provision of the law to people is a, a, a helpful thing. It's a glorious thing. He says here, do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. We know the law because there was a time where we were married to the law. We had such a deep connection that that was our only hope of connecting with God was adhering to some kind of a standard through our own works. And there's some good things that came from the law. The law helped us know that God is holy. The God helped us know that God is knowable. The law helped us know that the wages of sin is death. The law helped us know that there was a temporary system of sacrifice for a while ago. But here's what, what, what David said in, in, in Psalm 19 as he talks about the law and the, the positive aspects of it. He says in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Verse 10, The law is more to be desired than, than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. See, the, the law was, was good. The law revealed God to us, but as the law reveals God to us, it also shows him at a standard and a level that is so far removed from us, and, and what he's asking us to do is so high and lofty that we are unable to consistently and regularly live it out. As a matter of fact, listen to what Paul said about the law throughout the book of Romans so far. In chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Paul said this of the law. He said, now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. 
For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, God gave us this law, which is holy and and good. But here's the thing. As that law is revealed, it just reveals to us that we are sinners and thus making us condemned without excuse before God. Romans chapter 4 and and verse 15, Paul said this. He said, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. The law brings wrath. The law reveals us to be sinners. And Romans chapter 1 verse 18 said that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God follows the exposing of sin. Chapter 5 and verse 20 Paul says this, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What Paul is saying is the more we learn of God's law, the more we learn of his standard, the more we, we hear these commands, the reality is we see how much we fall short of that standard. The more we know, the further we have to go, the further the gulf, the further the separation. You see, if the law is, is all we have, then all we have is a list of what's. And that list of what's just reveals that we are separated from God forever. But here's the thing, friends. Christ offers us something more than just a list of what's. He offers us a transformation of our hearts and our lives. He changes the who, you and me. And that's his point in Romans 7. As he says, in order for us to get separation from this law, the what that we were married to, a death has to occur. And he uses an analogy here of of marriage. Now, something that's important to note here is that Paul is not giving a comprehensive doctrine of marriage here. That's not his intent. That's not his, his hope. His hope is not say everything he thinks about marriage. He'll, he'll talk about marriage and, and divorce and remarriage in, in a number of different spots in his epistles, and Jesus also himself will address it in his ministry. And so some of the things you might expect, some of the nuance you might expect to see here, if this is an issue that you've studied, uh, doesn't show up because Paul is, is using this picture of marriage here to make a point about law and death. And ultimately what Paul is saying is that death takes you out from underneath, separates you from the power of the law. Listen to how he says it. He says, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. What, what Paul is, is getting at there is he says, if we are married to the law, that's his picture, that's the idea, that's the analogy. If we were at one time married to the law, the only way out of that marriage, the only way out of that strong connection that said the only thing that we have to connect us to God is a list of what's, the only way out of that is for a death to occur. Now, when I I say that, what would you anticipate the death being? 
I'll tell you, for me, as I was, I was working this through and, and, and reading this passage and preparing for today, you know what my initial thought was? Well, the law must have died. The law dies, therefore we're free to live a new life. But that's not what it says, right? What does it say? Just, just let, let your eyes fix there on, on verse 4. It says, likewise, my brothers, who's died? You also have died to the law, to the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. What's the death that takes place that sets us free from the law and the what's as our only means of access to the Father? It was our death. Now, if it was the law that died, first of all, Jesus would have been telling a lie when he said in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 19, that not one jot or tittle would pass away from the law until the end of the age. And the age is still going on. So this is consistent with what Jesus said. The law didn't die. The law is alive and well. But here's the thing. We are not bound to that law any longer because we are the ones who have died. Well, how did we die? We died with Christ. When we place our faith in Jesus and, and, and what he has done, Romans chapter 6 told us that we identify with his death. That means that the death that Christ died paid the full penalty for your sins and for mine. For all of the things that we have done that deserve God's wrath, that was fully satisfied when Christ died on the cross because we were identified with his death. And not only were we identified with his death, but we were identified with his burial. The us that used to be married to the law is dead and buried. And if, I don't know about you, but, but dead, buried people don't often remarry. Do they? I, at least, not that I know of. Dead and buried people don't often remarry. But what happened? Jesus resurrected from the grave the one who was resurrected from the grave. And we also, Romans 6 told us, because we are identified with Christ, we are identified not just with his death, but also with his life. And just as Jesus is resurrected from the dead, we too have the hope of walking about in a newness of life. We now have an opportunity to be married to another, to a new way of connecting to the God of the universe, not on the basis of the what's alone but on the basis of a new dynamic because our who has changed. And that who that has changed happens because we are connected to Christ. The words that he uses here in chapter 7 is that we belong to him. We belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. What a beautiful picture. It's a picture of marriage. At one point, we were married to the law. That us died and was buried if we have trusted in Christ. Now we are resurrected with Christ and have the opportunity of being married with him and united and connected to God through him and through his way, which is the way of grace and not the law, which is the provision of his righteousness and not requiring our own. What a gift. What a gift. We belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead. Now, this picture of, of marriage that he offers here of us with Christ, um, 
one of the best ways I can think of to help us make sense of that is to think of marriages that we know. And I'm going to just use the, the example that, of the marriage that I'm most familiar with, and that is the marriage that I have with my wife. Um, it'll be 20 years this summer that Kimberly and I have been married. And uh, so it's hard for me at times to remember life before that. Uh, some of you can relate to that, you know, but, but it's, it's hard for me to think back. But, but here's, here's the reality. Before we were married, we were, we were different people. We were different people. Not, we looked similar and, and we had similar personalities and those things, but fundamentally before God, we were different. We were two separates, but when we got married, we became one. Our identity changed. We belonged to one another. And things begin to shift and change. Things like, uh, she took my last name. There's a, there's a, there's a change in the dynamic of, of, our, of our identity. We're together now, not apart. We, we moved into an apartment together. We began to share things. There weren't anything in our apartment, our first apartment that we had in Arlington, and this is continued to this day, there was nothing that was hers or mine. It was all ours. Now, there are things of hers that I have not used. And I'm guessing the converse is true. But, but the reality is, the reality is, friends, we, we became connected. We became identified. And you know what? From that point on, the relational dynamic totally shifted. And, and I have the opportunity to relate and love my wife and, and, and care for her. And, and she has the opportunity to do that for me. I mean, she made me scrambled eggs this morning at 5.30. What a, what a gift from, from a wife to a husband to make scrambled eggs at 5.30 this morning. But, you know, we, we do those things not because, not because we have to, not because it's just a what, but because the who's have changed. We're together the who has changed, therefore, therefore, the life is, is different. It says here that we belong to another, not to the law and just the what's, but we belong to the one who raised from the dead and gives us a new who. We have the chance of relating to God. And when we do that, what happens? What happens? Well, we live a different life. It says, so that you might belong to another, verse 4, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. See, we were the fruit that we have the chance to live out now is a fruit of obedience. See, before under the law, it was obedience leading to salvation. That was the thought. That's the mindset. But now it's not obedience leading to salvation. It's salvation leading to obedience because the who's changed. Jesus saved us and connects to us in this loving, committed relationship because he wants to see us live out the life and walk in the works he's prepared for us. What a, what a wonderful thing. Jesus didn't just come to the cross and die and then say, my work is done and back away from us forever and say, good luck with all that. He loves us and cares for us and is committed to us and is provided for us through this transformation of our identity and committed to us in this belonging kind of relationship that we might follow him in obedience and, and, and see his power at work in our lives. 
See, the Christian life is, is certainly about the what's. We're to live into this fruit, but, but it happens not just as a list that we are to do in our own strength. It, it happens because an identity has changed. And let me, let me put that in some context for you. Why do we gather together on Sundays and worship? Well, certainly we gather together on Sundays to worship because there's a command. There's a what? Do not forsake meeting together. It's a verse. We've got it. I mean, we've memorized it. Hebrews chapter 10. But we do so not just because of the what. We do so because our who has changed. We gather together because we are the body of Christ. Therefore, we gather and we remember and we worship. Why do we, we, we care for a, a friend down the road from you or in your small group when they're going through illness or struggle? We do so not just because there's a command, though there is a command. We're to bear one another's burdens. But we do so because we are connected in the same body so that when you hurt, I hurt. It's an identity issue, friends. The who is changed. Jesus offers us a transformation of the who as we engage in the what. That's the first thing I want us to see. Second thing I want us to see, though, about this, this spiritual life is this. How the who does the what in the spiritual life? How the who does the what? So there's this transformation in our heart, and there's a, a what that God is calling us to do, to produce fruit and to, to follow him in obedience. Um, but is there more than that? Well, absolutely there's more than that. There's the empowerment that God has, has given to us to live out the Christian life. It's, it's mentioned there in verse 6. Paul writes and says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. There's a new way in which we get to serve as we are belonging with Christ. There's a new way that he's given us, a new power source that he has given us to live out the Christian life that is different and distinct from merely following in obedience in our own strength and power. He's given us something more, and that more is here referred to as the Spirit. Now, what's interesting about that is if you look at chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Romans, they're a stark contrast. You'll see this next week as we look at a longer section of chapter 7. But in chapter 7, the word law appears 23 times, law or written code, 23 times mentioned in chapter 7. And chapter 7 is largely a chapter that uh, talks about struggle and strife and difficulty in the Christian life. But what's interesting is when you flip over and look at chapter 8, the word spirit appears 25 times. And chapter 8 is a chapter of hope and inspiration and courage and love and victory. Friends, if, if we want to live out the Christian life, we cannot live out the Christian life the way Christ has intended a truly Christian life just merely by the what's, by the old way of the written code. There is a new way, and that is the way of the Spirit. And we'll see that throughout this series, but I want to just kind of preface it a little bit with some of what Paul says in other places about the Spirit. See, the Spirit of God is the power source whereby we can live out the life that God has called us to live in Christ. See, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, from the moment that we believed, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within our hearts. That means that if you know Christ, that means that the Holy Spirit 
has come to reside within your hearts, if you're trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you have within you this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given to you. Now, what should we expect if that Holy Spirit has come into our lives? Well, Ephesians 1 lets us know that one of the things we should expect is to be assured of our connection with God, that the Spirit has come, God's not going to take it away, and we have a hope for an eternally secure life. But it's it's more than that. The Spirit is not just there to give us some, some encouragement of our security. The Spirit is there to empower us for the life that we've been called to live. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5. I don't have this on the screen, but you can flip over there and just listen. These are some of the most foundational verses of the Spirit and God's intended purpose for the Spirit of God in our lives. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, Paul says, but I say this, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, and he lists several. Then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The idea there in the picture is that the Spirit comes to empower us to walk away from the flesh. The flesh produces the fruit that leads to death. We saw that in verse 5. But in the Spirit's power, we can walk away from those temptations of the flesh and follow Christ in obedience, not merely on the basis of our grit and determination to the what, but because Jesus has provided a new how to empower us to live out the Christian life. Where instead of the things that would lead to temptation and death, the spiritual fruit of self-control, and peace and love might flow. Now, when you think about that, when you think about this picture of, of the Spirit as the new how, uh, we're, again, we're going to get more in depth on this as we get into chapter 8, but let me, let me just give you one uh, simple takeaway to think about with this. Again, if you know Christ, if you have trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sins, your who has changed. And part of that who change is that the Spirit of God has come to reside within you to empower you for Christian living. So here's the thing. The next time you're going to walk into a situation where you know it's God is asking you to do something that is going to be difficult and hard, I want you to just stop before you go in and just say, Lord, thank you for changing me. Thank you for changing me to want to do something different. Thank you for for allowing me to belong to Christ so I want to do something different. And I pray now that your spirit would work through me to do something different. You think about that as it relates to a parent. You're getting ready to go in as a parent to talk to your kid. Or kids, you're, you're ready to go in and talk to your parent. And you need to uh, confess something or you need to challenge them on something. Um, I'll let you figure out how that works in your family. There's times as parents, we have to go and apologize, right? And we don't want to. It's going to be a hard thing. There's times as kids, we need to apologize to our parents. It's hard. We don't want to. We can go into those moments and say, Lord, empower me to do what is otherwise difficult to do, otherwise impossible for me to do.
that you might have your fruit show forth in my life. It's the same thing with addiction. You think, I cannot stop looking at that. I cannot stop drinking that. I cannot stop smoking that. You know the places where that temptation will be most dominant in your life. Rather than just going into those situations with a bunch of what's of what you are to do and not to do, go into those situations and remember who you are. And not only remember who you are, but remember that there's a new how for living that out and just take a moment and say, Lord, thank you for changing me. Thank you for giving me another opportunity, a new life. I pray that your spirit would allow me to have the self-control I need in this situation. See, we have a new how, friends. It's a gift that God has given to us, a gracious gift. See, how do you think about the Christian life? What is truly Christian about your understanding of the Christian life? It's more than just a list of what's. It's a transformation of the who and a provision of an all-new how. And we get to look at this for the next six weeks together for six more weeks after this. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. I thank you for the the power of your truth. And Father, I pray today um, that as we gather, that that we would just remember the, the change that has taken place, the new connection that we belong to Christ. Therefore, we, we get to live out our lives in, in love uh, for, for you because you've changed who we are. And Father, thank you not only that you, you've changed who we are, but you've given us your spirit. And I pray that we would be people who be dependent upon your spirit's power for all of our lives. And we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.